Hey everybody, thanks for joining us for another episode of Food Chain presented by Perfy. Today we have Jake DeLeon from Phila Manila here today. Thanks for joining us, Jake. No, thanks for having me, boss. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited for you to be here too. Um, I've been seeing a bunch of your stories on LinkedIn and I just couldn't wait to have you on to, to dive into these and hear more from myself firsthand. I'm a fan of LinkedIn. It's one of my favorite tools. I mean, it's great for communication, great for sales, and just great for getting the story out there. Absolutely. So let's start with a um, personal story and uh, how you got to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll start all the way from the beginning. So, you know, I happen to be a first generation Filipino American immigrant. So in my case, that means I was born in the Philippines and I was raised in the exotic land of New Jersey, <laughs> specifically when I was uh, two years old. But, you know, I, I say for most Filipino families and honestly, most international families, like food was always part of growing up. It was part of the family. It was part of just a way we showed love to each other. So my earliest memories was kind of like helping my mom, my grandmother make Filipino delicacies in our kitchen. And then we would resell them to friends and family because we were an immigrant family. So we didn't have too much money. So any kind of income into the family, it was always helpful. But, you know, life, I always say, is always ironic. In those early days of working with food and just loving food. I ended up in a career of food. So, I mean, out of college, uh, one of my first jobs was with a CPG company called Procter & Gamble, where I worked on their food brands like Pringles um, and their Imes and Yukonuba cat and pet food, uh, dog food brands. After that, you know, I worked for uh, Starbucks and I also did a marketing category for their coffee and their espresso frappuccino beverages. But I think like with most crazy entrepreneurs, Vasa. It's, you know, I had that inner drive in me. It's like, I always wanted to start my own thing. And then, you know, I love food. I love brand building. And I love just the idea of creating something out of nothing. And, you know, that's what gave me the drive to leave corporate behind and then uh, start my first food company. So I know we talked about Phila Manila, but that is actually not my first startup. My first startup was a refrigerated functional beverage called Origin Almond. And, you know, we were talking before we started, Vasa, that my heart goes out to you in the beverage business because it is definitely not for the faint-hearted. <laughs> so, not at all. Long story short, I mean, we, I started that company with 500 bucks out of our local farmer's market. And basically, I grew that to distribution with Whole Foods, with Walmart, um, and with, you know, almost like nationwide distribution. But we were doing pretty well, I'd say, up until uh, March of 2020. That was uh, our highest revenue month to date. And then all kind of crashing down with the lockdowns because a lot of our traffic was tied to, a lot of our revenue is tied to store traffic. So once that store traffic went away, sales went away too. But, you know, it was definitely a dark time for, not just for us, but honestly for the entire country. You know, looking back, you know, I'm very grateful and I'm grateful for three things. Like number one, we were a reefer refrigerated business. So we had a really good grasp on inventory. So we didn't really get an impact from that. Number two, like, you know, my friends had businesses 20 or 30 X larger than my own and they lost everything overnight during that period. And, you know, number three, it's like, Hey, you know, I didn't get sick. My family didn't get sick. My friends didn't get sick. It's hard to be upset when the whole world is suffering around you and you're relatively okay. So you know, I did throw a hissy fit for five minutes and then I'm like, eh, you know, so is life. <laughs> so yeah. it was during that kind of down period of the lockdowns, you know, I came across an article that was kind of the inspiration behind 
Phila Manila, which I guess we're going to talk about today. And the article was talking about in some areas of the U.S., upwards of 20% of the healthcare workforce on the front lines of COVID happened to be Filipino. And it's kind of like a, I kind of laughed at it because it's kind of like an inside joke in most Filipino families. We have at least seven or eight cousins or uncles uh, who happen to be nurses or doctors, right? It's kind of like, you know, if you're not a nurse, something is probably wrong with you. <laughs> in a Filipino family. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then so, you know, that insight is like, whoa, this is pretty wild. So it made me excited to do more research about my people, my community. And, you know, it turns out that you now we are a thing, you know, we're the second largest Asian American community in the U.S., uh, the largest in 11 states, including California. But, you know, I come from CPG and then my mind goes to the stores like, wait a minute, you know, we're such a big part of the community. How come when I go to the Publix, the Wegmans, the Kroger's, the Targets, the Whole Foods of the world, there's actually no representation of our cuisine on the shelf, right? I mean, you have to go to your local Asian supermarket in the dusty corner and find those MSG packets on the shelf, right? And I just felt like it wasn't right. And I felt like it was a perfect time to tap into that growing interest in Filipino cuisine and culture. And essentially, that's how Phila Manila was born. I'll pause there because I felt like I talked a lot. <laughs> I've got a, I've got a couple of questions written down for you. Yeah. With, with the beverage, is part of why you know overnight it kind of went away? Was it because of like you had an, a commoditized ingredient that skyrocketed because of supply chain, or was it that um, there was no T 2 C element that was viable, or what what happened there that caused that to just kind of go bye bye overnight? Yeah, so it was a refrigerated beverage, so it was reefer. So there was a couple of elements happening at that time. I mean, you have to remember, you know, going back in time to March and April 2020, the market didn't know what was going to happen. You know, we we had this really rough kind of 80% drop in revenue in the span of six weeks. And then it's like, so now what? You know, do we expect the market to rebound? Um, is COVID going to be super devastating to the world and economy where there's going to be no rebound at all? And, you know, we thought to ourselves, like, we can't really do direct consumer because the cost of shipping, you know, dry ice or ice frozen packets across the country for like a $60 ticket is not going to pan out for us. Yeah. And then so it's like, do you want to raise money and try to keep this business afloat, not knowing what's going to happen in the future, not just to the natural food industry, but even to planet Earth, right? <laughs> it's like, what's yeah. going to happen to us? And then so that's where he made the decisions. Like, I think we're going to have to pivot. You know, it's like, I loved Origin Almond, but I learned a lot from it. It's kind of like, know when to hold them, when to fold them. And, you know, my heart was into this, but I think my heart is bigger into this mission of Phila Manila, if that makes sense. I love it. It's, it's kind of like uh, Phila Manila was born from the ashes of your, your prior, you know, run at, at the business. And it's, it seems like a blessing in disguise. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's maybe it's a bit too early to tell, but so far so good. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. So let's, let's go deeper into um, Phila Manila. Tell me all about it. And for the listeners that don't know, what is Phila Manila? Yeah, absolutely. So um, essentially, Phila Manila, the mission is to finally add representation to the delicious cuisine of the Filipino community, right? So the story goes is that, you know, I took during that time, we were all issued our stimmies or stimulus check. And I use that stimulus check in pure immigrant fashion as kind of the my pre-revenue funding for Phila Manila, right? So I, I use that to build the prototypes of, you know, getting some glass jars from Amazon, getting some labels and using my parents' recipes to put the formulation together, yeah? And so I decided to do our first product line as a kind of like savory cooking sauces. And the idea is that these three savory cooking sauces would be the best representation of these iconic Filipino dishes that my family, 
And most Filipino families across the U.S. would enjoy probably once every week or maybe more than once every week. Yeah. So we did the cooking sauces. And then, um, you know, I, I remember reaching out to Bayer that I knew from my beverage days. And I'm like, hey, you know, Bayer from a major chain. It's like, do you remember me? I used to have those weird almond drinks. Now I have Filipino sauce. <laughs> it's like, what do you think? <laughs> and he's like, I get a reply back at 30 minutes. And he goes, Jake, you know, we've been waiting for someone to do Filipino food for years. And like, we'll take all three SKUs. It's crazy because it shows you like even retail knows like there's this huge gap in the market and there's baffled how no one has ever tackled it before. So that gave me the confidence to really pursue Filipino full on, you know, getting off that minimum viable product of a couple of things I bought on Amazon into something more legit. Do you know what I mean? So then, you know, from there, we are super scrappy. We got some traction and then we're able to build that traction into investment. And, you know, it's to where we are today, I guess. <laughs> I love it, man. Born from a stimmy. Was it the 1200 or the 600? It was the 1200. <laughs> That's incredible. I did not know that coming in. <laughs> man, talking about flipping that, there was probably a bunch of TVs bought, but you started a whole business from it. That's mad respect, man. That's great. <laughs> Thank you. Tell me more after you found the traction and things are, you know, kind of coming along. Tell me more about the fundraising process. From my research, there was um, some interesting comments being made. Which comments? That there wasn't a market for your products. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, honestly, Vasa, I got to say, maybe you've probably run to similar situations too. So, I'd say for the most part, you know, for maybe some of the entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs that are listening, you know, any kind of early stage food and beverage, or maybe even these days, any kind of early stage company is going to be very difficult to fundraise in the beginning. Yeah. I mean, unless you have that established network, you know, I don't know, like you're an alumni from a certain school, or your family came from a certain background, it's going to be very difficult to get funding from kind of step one. So, you know, I kind of felt like it was a difficult battle, you know, trying to approach investors, trying to approach friends and family, because it was such a new thing. And, you know, during the period of the, the lockdowns, the pandemic, everyone I knew was not in the great financial shape to invest money in a, in a random startup. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me, it's like I felt the best way to do this was to probably start out with maybe an accelerator, an incubator. Yeah? And that's where I came upon uh, one in Texas, which happened to be a tech accelerator but they had a lot of interest in Philomanilla. They don't really do food investments, but they were interested in us. And the lesson here is that I talked to them, I met with them. It's like, you guys do a lot of tech stuff, you know, SAS and apps and stuff. I don't even know what is going on there. So what made you interested in what I'm building here? And the really interesting learning is, is that I remember giving the same insight during a panel at Expo West is that, you know, one of the principals there, you know, his children uh, did missions trips in the Philippines. So he was really familiar with Filipino cuisine, the Filipino culture. And he understood it was kind of like a huge white space in the U.S. because he didn't see it either. And so the big thing I could pull from that is, you know, there's a lot of capital out there. The challenge and the tricky thing is, is finding those right partners with the capital that believe in you and your mission. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, when I sold Philip Manila to them in terms of investment, I didn't have to do much selling. I mean, they got it. You know what I mean? And some of our early angels, they either happened to be part Filipino or they happened to be married to someone who's Filipino. So when I went to them, they're like, okay, Jake, what are you doing? And I told them my story. It's like, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, I don't need samples. I totally get it. Like, how much do you need? Do you know what I mean? Like, versus me going to maybe a traditional VC that, for the sake of matters, like, you know, older, rich white guys, trying to explain, oh, okay, so the Philippines is here. This is the food we make. We do a sauce. 
<laughs> so yeah. you know, have to think about all the barriers you have to bust to get that same amount of dollar check from them versus finding the peers and finding the investors that believe in you and get it. It's a lot less friction. I know it's a lot of work, but it, I really encourage entrepreneurs to go out there in the network and find those people that jive with you and jive with what you're trying to build. It's much easier than trying to fight battles that you're never going to win. And that's so interesting. I, I view a lot of business in sports terms, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with who Steph Curry is. Uh, the basketball player? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Steph came out of Davidson, you know, the son of a former NBA player, and he didn't get recruited by many big schools. But after his first season at Davidson, Coach K at Duke was like, well, let, let's bring him on. And Steph was very loyal. He was like, they didn't want me then. They're not getting me now. And even after he did well at Davidson, had an amazing Final Four. I believe that Davidson made the Final Four. He had some buzzer beaters in, the, in March Madness. He still wasn't highly recruited out of college after all that he had done up until that point. But there was one brand that saw something in him. And although he was, quote unquote, you know, undersized for a point guard or whatever his perceived flaws were, Saito Sport viewed him as an asset. They offered him a deal. I think they were his first brand deal out of college. And he rewarded them with loyalty for years and years and years. And I'll never forget that because I feel like a lot of VC is it goes beyond just paper and numbers and, you know, calculating different algorithms to see viability of a product or whatever goes on in VC. What I'm looking for is those that, that view the player and see how passionate they are and the upside there can be in investing in that player. That's just how I view things. And I don't see that quite often. Maybe business and sports is completely different, but I can tell you that Steph Curry and what they thought of him coming out of college and who he is now is one of the biggest superstars in sports is one of those stories I can never stop thinking about. No, I, I love that story and it makes total sense. And, you know, I, I love those stories where people just believe in the person, right? I mean, not the widget, not the, the PowerPoint deck, but they just believe in what that person can accomplish if you just give them a chance. And I, I kind of, I thrive off that hope. I think for a lot of immigrants, it's kind of like, it's that excitement that's really the American dream. Do you know what I mean? I 100% do. I love when people take shots on people and it, and it pans out, you know, he's an enormous superstar and, and tying into to more business and more of like the ethnic cuisines, you know, I'm, I'm more than half Hispanic. I'm, my dad was born in Mexico city. He immigrated here, met my mom and the rest is history, but I don't find the same level of camaraderie with the people call it Latinx. Now I call it Latino, Latina. I don't quite see that. And uh, I'm excited to see more and more VCs pop up that are focusing on founders with that background. Yeah, 100%. Me too. And the same in the, in the other kind of international cuisine spaces of, you know, Asian and whatever else. Early on, I wanted to go head to head with burritos and sugar intake in, in Mexico is even worse than, than it is in the United States. It's over 150 pounds consumption in the United States. I don't know the exact number of Mexico, but I know that soda is banned in schools. So I'm very, very motivated by what burritos is doing. But my biggest inspiration was from Spindrift. All of our bases are carbonated water and, and fruit juices that aren't from concentrate, but some background on Burpee there. Very cool. I love it. What's next for you and, and Phil and Manila? How are things going now? Are you, you got the traction, you got some investment. What's, what's next? You don't have to give any trade secrets away. I would say that the first year of our launch is really getting that minimum viable product in the market and just learning from what consumers said, what retailers said, and what we observed. And, you know, taking those learnings and continually iterate on the product. So, you know, that said, we officially launched in a larger scale just this past fall with uh, Whole Foods Mid-Atlantic. So, you know, we did pretty well. And then we kind of took that success from there. We launched on Amazon FBA 
of, you know, filmed by, by Amazon and like three of her SKUs hit number one on three separate Amazon lists, right? Without any marketing, without any spend at all. It was kind of like an organic word of mouth from the Filipino American community, you know? And then from there, you know, we've been blessed with great traction and distribution. I can announce that, you know, we'll be going nationwide with Sprouts uh, next month. Um, and also be launching in Target this fall. And, you know, it, the distribution is exciting, you know, Vasa, but what really excites me is that Villa Manila will be the first product that these two chains have ever introduced a Filipino product. And so, you know, it's more than just getting, you know, jars on the shelf. It's the idea of kind of pioneering this cultural breakthrough in mainstream grocery. And that's what really gets me super excited. So we have our savory sauces. Now we're about to launch a line of coconut and ube jams, right? So think about like a coconut spread or like kind of an ube purple yam jam. And like you would use them in any way that you'd use a peanut butter, but they're just made with those delicious, silky coconut base. And so we're going beyond savory now into sweet. But the idea, our vision is to really represent the next generation of Filipino American flavor. So, you know, going beyond different categories, like what are the other ways that we can kind of capture those iconic flavors I used to enjoy growing up and present them in a more modern twist that I think most Americans would just love it as well. That's so exciting, man. Congrats on those wins. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks. I, I know I make it sound easy, but <laughs> it was a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I bet. Nothing comes easy in, in our industry. Um, and so you got Sprouts nationwide, Target, you said nationwide as well? Uh, Target will be in the Midwest and the Mid-Atlantic for now. Good stuff, man. That's exciting. And are, are you finding that um, people are reaching out for, you know, are you supporting those startup founders who have similar dreams as you? to represent other ethnicities and helping them kind of guide them along? And if so, what are some pieces of advice for them that you have? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, like, that's what I really, I mentioned earlier about the power of LinkedIn. I could say uh, at least I get maybe two or three founders a week that reached out to me in a cold call on LinkedIn asking for advice, which I love. You know, I love the audacity of cold calling because (laughs) I mean, it's me behind the computer. Of course I'm going to respond. And, you know, they, it's usually the similar kind of questions like, you know, how did you start and do you have any advice for them as they start their own journey? I always give kind of the three basic advice points. So, you know, the first one is, you know, look at your concept and then look at what's really driving the why behind your product, right? Is it something that the market needs? Is it something that you personally think is cool? Or is it something that really comes from your, your soul, from your heart, right? Is it something that's really part of you that you just really want to come in, bring it out and bring into fruition as a product? Yeah. I mean, it's that last one that really gets me excited because that's really part of the founder, right? That's what's really going to set them on fire when they bring that product out into the market. Number two, it's like, you know, when you launch, you know, don't think you have to go all out, super crazy spend and launch. So, you know, if you think about Phila Manila, my intention was to come out with a minimum viable product because I knew from my early days, my first startup, it's like, it's going to change. So it doesn't matter if you get the perfect shade of yellow on it. It's like, it's going to change. So start out with the most simple, most inexpensive, fastest way to get a product out there, right? So get some stuff off Amazon, go to your dollar store and put the product yourself in a, you know, in a federally approved kitchen. And then bring it to the farmer's market and then get people's reaction from it, right? You don't have to launch like in 30 chains and get that, you know, the free fill and things like that. And my third kind of advice is to um, seek out help where you can't do it yourself. And, you know, I love the idea of networking. I love the idea of cold calling. So even the fact that those founders reached out to me because they have a list of questions where it's like, Jake, you know, I went on Google, I went on YouTube, I went to the trade shows, you know, I, I tried to do this research, but 
I can't seem to find the answer to these three questions. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. It's like, I love founders that do that research on it. They come to me with these questions that they really get stuck on. Yeah. And it shows me that they're willing to put in the work to kind of get the questions where they can't figure out and kind of have seek out the help to get it done. So I've sought out help from other founders when I was starting up. So I'm more than happy to give advice and help to founders that are coming up as well. I love it. And then the flip side of that, what are some things you would say, watch out for this, like fill in the blank there? It's hard because, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So I think I had the benefit or maybe not benefit of coming from CPG. You know, I come from uh, big food companies, you know, I'm familiar, a little bit familiar with how the food industry works in the back end in terms of finance, supply chain, marketing, R&D. So sometimes some founders in the food world do not come from that background. So they really don't know. They don't really know where to begin, like where to go for manufacturing, who to trust for marketing consultations or websites. And so one big watch out is that you know, before you spend dollars on consultants, before you spend dollars on agencies, before you spend dollars on folks who know more than you, I've tried to get that information for free through networking. <laughs> yeah. you know I mean? So, I mean, I had founders that asked me questions where I could say, hey, you know, that's the consulting question. I'm going to charge you $200 per hour. <laughs> but like, <laughs> honestly, if it takes me like 30 seconds to write a sentence on LinkedIn, they save 10 grand. That's amazing. I love it. You know? <laughs> Yeah, that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> this is great advice and, and great watch out. So cool that you're kind of giving back to those that that reach out. I, I've never had a founder cold call me. I, I have got uh, you know DMs and LinkedIn and and Twitter. I try to do my best to respond as much as possible. But I also run a marketing agency too, and sometimes we funnel some advice through the consult consulting route, um, which is which is kind of nice. Um, I'm with you on that. Uh, you know what's funny about that? So I, I always say too, it's kind of a joke. So I always say like, I always try to be super nice and helpful to any founder that reaches out because they could be my next boss, man. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, that's hilarious, man. Um, you could be my next boss, boss. Nice you could be mine. You, you already are. I'm going to boss from now on. Uh, well, this has been absolutely amazing hearing your story. I, I I'll, don't think I'll ever forget that it was born from a stimmy, man. That is the coolest thing I've heard and probably the most productive use of those funds uh, that I can think of to this day. Dude, I like to joke that that stimmy use is kind of like uh, the immigrant version of pre-revenue institutional funding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and where, where's home for you? Are you in California or are you in, on the East Coast? Are you still in New Jersey? Oh, no, we're, we're based in the, uh, the Philadelphia area. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Uh, city of brotherly love, big, big Cope, go puff city. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Go pop. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Man. Well, I really appreciate your time before we close out. Um, where can everyone find you? Yeah. I mean, uh, immediately you can find us on our, our website where we do direct to consumer at philomanil.com. Also, you can find us on Amazon. Um, you know, if you're near Sprouts or world market, you could find us um, in those stores in August and keep a lookout. We're constantly adding new locations. Check out our website and our store locator. Awesome. It's Jake Delion on LinkedIn. If you guys are going to cold call or cold DM. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right, Jake, thanks so much for your time. It's been a pleasure and uh, have a beautiful day. No, you too. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care.